Hey, so Mr. Thompson, Mr. Thompson was one of my favorite teachers in high school. Uh, he came my junior year from out of state, and I just loved being around the guy. I thought he was a super cool person. We loved to talk sports. Uh, we loved to talk uh, what was going on in school. We'd talk about our upcoming opponent and different games and things like that. And I was always hanging around his office or his class. He was so much fun to be around. And uh, he, his office became like this safe haven for me. It became a place that I would just go to hang out. If I had a study hall or something, I'd leave study hall. Sometimes the teachers would know, and I would go down and I'd hang out with Mr. Thompson. I just loved being around him. He was just super cool. And after a while, we began to, to be friends and get to know one another more and more. Well, obviously, after graduation, it, it was a while before I got to see Mr. Thompson again. It was about three years, and I don't remember exactly where we were, if it was a restaurant or a, a school function or church or something like that, but I remember seeing him across the room, and I was excited. I was excited to see my friend again and catch up, so I walked up to Mr. Thompson, and I tapped him on the shoulder. He turned around, and he was a little surprised to see me, and he said, hey, Jake, how are you doing? I'm good, and we kind of explained the, you know, the, the, the formal greeting back and forth. How's life? How's the family? How's job? How's school? All those things, and a normal conversation until one time he said something just odd to me. Something I wasn't expecting. It caught me off guard. And I don't know why he thought this about me. And I don't know why he thought it was okay to, to say this to me. But Mr. Thompson looked me right in my eyes and said, You know what, Jake? I got to be honest. I'm a little surprised you're not in jail. And I was so caught off guard and so dismayed by what he had just said. I think I said, ah, uh, yeah, me too. Surprised I'm not in jail. Okay. I remember we talked a little bit more after that, and then we kind of parted ways. And as we parted ways, everything in me started going from, man, that was weird, to why would he say something like that, to feeling kind of hurt. I mean, I had spent two years every day making sure I stopped by to see Mr. Thompson. I thought we were friends. I thought we were close. I thought, you know, we had a relationship. We were good. We were buddies. We were pals. Going to his office was like my safe haven in school. And now with that one comment, that one sentence changed everything for me. Our friendship was now turned upside down. Those memories, they weren't as sweet anymore. And I no longer wanted to be around Mr. Thompson like I did in the past. So we've all got memories. I could pass a microphone around here this morning and we could all share a point in time where somebody said something to us or something about us that's just kind of stuck with us for a while. Just kind of stuck there. Maybe that wound's healed a little bit more, but we still carry around a scar of what somebody else has either said to us or what somebody has said about us. It's something that we all keep with us. We're moving through this James series, kind of exploring the idea of what it takes to be a disciple of Jesus. And we've defined a disciple, you've heard us say this every week, as one who follows Jesus, one who is changed by Jesus, and one who is committed to the mission of Jesus. So we're going to continue on with this here in James chapter 3. James chapter 3. If you have your Bible with you, your Bible app, or maybe you have the North Point app, go ahead and pop that open this morning. Uh, you can follow along on the North Point app with some fill in the blanks and areas to write uh, your own thoughts and things like that as well. But we're going to be here in James chapter 3, verses 1 through 2. It says this It says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach 
will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. See, a lot of times when we get up here on stage, we like to tell you things like, oh man, this is my favorite verse, or this is such an impactful or powerful verse, or this is a fun verse, or I just love talking about this verse, right? I'm going to be honest with you this morning. James chapter 3, verse 1 is probably my least favorite verse in the entire Bible. I don't even know if you could have a least favorite verse, but this would be my least favorite verse in the entire Bible because, man, it reminds me that there is some weight on my shoulders. And as a pastor, as somebody who gets to stand up here on this stage and, and be able to talk to you and tell you what the Bible says and interpret things and be able to, to kind of lead and, hey, this is how, what we need to do to be Christ followers. This is how we need to live our lives. Like, there's some weight to that. In fact, James reminds us that we're going to be judged with greater strictness. So there's a huge responsibility that, you know, we know as we get on this stage and we remind ourselves of constantly. But the thing is, this doesn't only apply to pastors. It doesn't necessarily just apply to people who step foot on this platform. But rather, you may be working in kids' ministry or helping out in merge or with students. And you're in the role of a teacher in some capacity to them. Or maybe you're a life group leader or you help out in a recovery group or you lead a connect group at some point in time and you're in the position of being a teacher. Your words carry some authority to them. They carry some influence or some power to somebody else. And so James is trying to remind us, hey, remember, be, be careful what you say. Know what you're talking about. Know how to say those things because you will be judged with a greater strictness. He goes on to remind us that, hey, we all make mistakes, that it's part of our human nature, that we are prone to the wrong decisions. We do things we shouldn't do. We have the right thing and the wrong thing, and a lot of times we choose the wrong thing, and we even do it on purpose. There's also times that we're just not paying attention. We're just not living intentionally, and so we begin to stumble over things in our life. We begin to have things that come up and grab us and we trip over them and we've made the wrong decision. And James is telling us here that, hey, if you can control your speech, if you can control your speech, you can figure the rest of it out. You can figure the rest of everything out. That there's this main obstacle in our life. Our speech is this obstacle that we all face that impacts our lives and our relationships. And if we can just figure out our speech... And then we can begin to figure the rest of things out as well. James continues on here in verse 3 and gives us a couple analogies. He says, If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. See, James is pointing out to us here that our speech, our speech matters. Our speech has power. Our speech has power. The things that we say have 
power to them. And he gives us these two examples. The first is a horse, and he talks about the bit. And a bit is a tiny piece of metal that's put into the mouth of a horse, and it's attached to the reins, and that whoever's riding that horse can direct it by pulling that, those reins and manipulating that bit in the horse's mouth to move its head and to, to direct its gaze. If it wants to go one way, it, it pulls on it and it directs its gaze that it's only going to go this way and it blinds it from everything else to direct that this is where the horse will go. And this mighty, huge, ginormous horse is guided and controlled by a tiny piece of metal. He also talks about a ship rudder. A ship rudder, and a ship rudder is very tiny, very small in comparison to the rest of the vessel. It sits in the back kind of in the water, and it manipulates the way that the water moves under the boat to kind of give direction on where the ship should go. So it dictates for the captain whether or not they're facing into a storm or can be directed back home to safety. And this small rudder keeps the ship moving in spite of winds or the giant waves that may be coming at it. And James is reminding us that like a bit in a horse's mouth or the rudder of a ship, our speech has the power to control the rest of us. Our speech has the power to control us. It can either point us in the right direction of where we need to go with our lives or it can lead us into an area that's just filled with pain and heartache. James continues on here in verse 5. He says, So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Man, James has got some harsh language for the tongue. He's not holding anything back when he's telling us that the tongue is dangerous. The tongue is painful. He calls it staining the whole body, a world of unrighteousness, saying that it's untamable, comparing it to hellfire, a restless evil, and full of deadly poison. Like, that is some strong language. Like, this isn't something you want on, like, your job evaluation, right? Like, you don't want to come home, honey, hey, how'd your uh, meeting go today? Well, we're going to have to wait on that promotion, Boss said that my work is full of hellfire and a bunch of poison. So we're going to give it another year and see what he says then, right? Like, this is tough language. James is getting across a huge point here and letting us know that our speech, our speech can damage. Our speech can damage. See, I have no idea whether or not Mr. Thompson knew that that one sentence, that one statement damaged me. That it hurt me, that it had wounded me. In fact, every time that after that, that I'd come into a room and I would see Mr. Thompson in the room, I would just walk the other way. I'd leave the room because that relationship was gone. Those memories were gone. My safe haven was gone. I was still hurting. I didn't want to be around him. I just would remove myself because the words were so damaging and it hurt me. It shattered the image of what I thought we had before. 
See, we can all remember times or have words that trigger a painful memory in our lives. Whether it's something that a parent or a spouse may have said to you. Maybe it's something that a coworker or a friend may have said about you. That when we hear these things, man, it just puts that pit right back in our stomach. We go back to that painful memory and think, oh man, how much that hurt, how we felt, how it changed that relationship or that dynamic with that person. See, we all grew up on the school playground and somebody would say something, little Gina would be mad at us and so she'd yell at us and just say, you're a duty head, Jake, right? Like we all remember that, okay? Yeah, I said duty head, it happened. Okay, so we all remember that, right? And so what we do, we put our hands on our hips and we go, oh yeah? Well, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words... Whatever hurt me, right? You guys remember that, right? The problem is, as little kids, like, that worked. But then we became adults. And we realized sticks and stones may break my bones, but words, they can take longer to heal. (laughs) They can take a little bit longer under the recovery time. Words are a little bit deeper from time to time for us. And James goes on to let us know that his disciples are words shouldn't be damaging to others. Our words should not cause pain or injury to other people. Look what he says here in verse 9. Talking about the tongue here, he says, With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. James has given us two more analogies here uh, to talk about the way that we use our speech. And the first one he says is fresh and salt water. So we know with fresh and salt water that one can give life and that one can actually take it away. I remember a few years ago, back when I was getting ordained to be a pastor, this was a big moment. It's a big moment for any pastor. And I remember mom and dad were with me, and they were just so proud that their youngest child was getting ordained because I'm the baby and I'm the favorite, right? Like, that's we know that, right? Do we have any babies in here, babies in the families, right? Let's be honest. Doesn't it irritate you how jealous your siblings get of you? Right? Like they just, you know, they don't understand, right? You're the favorite, right? And so mom and dad were excited for me. They wanted to do something special at this time. And so they said, hey, we're going to do a cookout right after church for lunch. And we're going to do surf and turf. We're going to get some great steaks. And we're going to get lobsters. And it's going to be awesome. So I was excited. I was ready to get ordained like every week. All right, surf and turf, I'm ready to go. So we went out late on Saturday night. And we've got big nice steak and we've got seasoning for it and we were going to season that steak overnight and then we went and we got live lobster and we all got to pick out our own lobster right and of course I'm like the big guy that's mine I want the big guy right so we go and we pick out our lobster we take him back to my mom and dad's house we uh, put him in the bathtub and we fill it full of water because we're weird I guess I don't know so that's what we decided to do with the lobster we go to bed that night And I get up early the next morning because I'm excited. It's a big day for me. I'm excited about surf and turf. I'm ready to go. And I hear all these noises coming from the kitchen. So I walk downstairs and I'm walking downstairs. I I can smell this like Old Bay seasoning. If you've ever smelled Old Bay seasoning, right? And I walk down and I see my mom like running frantically all over the kitchen, pots and pans everywhere. And I'm like, Mom, it's 7 in the morning. What are you doing right now? She goes, well, I got up this morning to brush my teeth 
and the lobsters were floating upside down because we forgot to use salt water. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> so mom made lobster at 7 o'clock in the morning for us. Now, don't worry. It's still delicious, okay? We didn't have any problems there. But the, we find out that there's a difference between fresh and salt water. One can give life, one can take it away from you. And so James gives us this analogy, and he goes on to tell us another one of, of figs and olives and grapevines. And we know that the type of tree or the type of plant determines what kind of fruit or flower or whatever it may give off, right? And James is telling us here that what starts in the roots of the plant is what eventually comes out of the branches. And it's true for us as well. See, who we are rooted in determines what we give off to others. Who we're rooted in determines what we give off to others. If you're rooted in hate or anger or a short temper or jealousy, your speech is going to give that off to other people. Your speech is going to sound that way to others. But if we're rooted in Jesus, if we're rooted in joy and peace and grace and patience, our speech will sound that way to other people as well. Our speech will be joyful. People will want to talk to us. People will want to be around us. And James is pointing out here that our speech, our speech matters. Our speech matters. See, if we're a disciple of Jesus, one who follows Jesus, who is changed by Jesus, who is committed to the mission of Jesus, then we can't talk like the rest of the world. Our speech shouldn't sound like everybody else. See, what we say to our spouse or our kids, it matters. What we say to our friends, our coworkers, our employer, or about them, that matters. Or how about this? What we post or comment on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, anywhere online, matters. It matters. We shouldn't sound like the rest of the world. We should sound like Jesus. So why does this matter so much? Verse 9 points out to us, number one, that we represent the Father. We represent the Father. So they're saying, hey, if you're a disciple of Jesus, if you're following after him, if you're committed to him, if you're changed by him, then what you say must be what Jesus would say. How you talk must be how Jesus would talk because you're committed to Jesus. So the rest of the world not only hears what we have to say, but in their mind they begin to hear and think, well, if that's what Jake sounds like, then that must be what Jesus sounds like. If Jake is always short-tempered and angry and jumping the gun and jealous, then Jesus must have a short temper. Then Jesus must be angry. Then Jesus must be filled with hate. Because Jake is a disciple of Jesus. Our speech matters because we represent the Father to the world. James also points out that we are talking to or we are talking about the Father's image bearers. That verse says, made in the likeness of God. In other words, the people that we talk to, the people that we talk about, were fearfully and wonderfully made and knit together in their mother's womb and that God poured all of his passions and his desires and he put skills and abilities on them and made them in his likeness and loves them and cares for them. 
And he loves them so much that he sent his son Jesus to take their penalty in their place and to die on a cross for them. And if God loves those people so much, why do we struggle with that in our speech? Why do we struggle, struggle talking about his image bearers in our speech? If these people are made in God's image, then why is it so easy to talk about that coworker, or to talk about that in-law, or to talk about our manager, or whoever it may be, when they are the image bearer of God, when he loves them so much to send his son for them? Our speech matters. So you may be thinking, Jake, how important is my speech really? Like, you know, this seems like a lot. We're talking a lot about it. Like, they're just words. Like, people are a little soft this day and age. Like, they need to just toughen up. I'm not really hurting anybody. I'm not taking anything from anybody. Is it really that important? This all seems a little dramatic to me. Jump back to James chapter 1, verse 26 with me. James chapter 1, 26. It says this. It's if, it says, if anyone thinks he is religious, a disciple of Jesus, and does not bridle his tongue, cannot control his speech, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. See, let's give you the, I'm going to give you the Jake version here for a second, okay? If you claim to be a disciple of Jesus, but you can't control your speech, you're an idiot and a fraud. You're an idiot and a fraud. See, I remember very distinctly back in college, um, I grew up thinking that, like, my sports teams were the best sports teams, right? Like, how could there possibly be any other teams out there that would be any good or anybody would root for? Like, everybody loves the Buckeyes, the Reds, and the Bengals, right? Like, those are the teams. Come on now. So then I went to college, and I found out that all of my roommates liked Kentucky Tennessee and Alabama and the Titans and the Braves and like all the wrong teams, right? I'm like, what are you guys thinking here? This is ridiculous. And I remember one particular night, Ohio State was playing Penn State at a night game. We were all excited about it, going to watch it together. We had some friends over. There were some people there I didn't even know. I was just ready to watch my game. Nationally televised, big matchup, ready to go. And I was wearing a t-shirt at the time. Uh, because I'm a Buckeye fan that said, Choke, the official soft drink of Michigan football, right? I know, I know. But I'm wearing this T-shirt, okay? I'm wearing this T-shirt. It says, Choke on it, real big. And as I'm watching the game, Ohio State winds up missing a field goal at the end of the game to lose. And I am not happy about this. And my wonderful roommate, without missing a beat, just starts, like, touching the word choke on my shirt, right? <laughs> right? And what do I do? Because, you know, I'm pastor, love Jesus, I'm close to him. I just said, brother, you are forgiven, right? No, I went unglued in this moment. I went nuts on him, telling him, you're terrible, your team's no good, your team's terrible, everything's about you terrible, your life is terrible, I bet your mom's even terrible, because you're just terrible, man. Like, unglued, right? Probably said some different things, but just went off on this guy, right? And just going crazy, I'm sweating, I'm red in the face, I got blood vessels popping in my head. And I go and I sit down after my tirade next to this guy I've never seen before. And I'm sure he's like, oh great, thanks for the psycho sitting next to me here, right? And I sit next to him and he goes, do you go to school here? <laughs> yeah. Like, what are you studying? Theology. <laughs> so like, you want to be a pastor? Yeah. Right? And it just floored me at that moment. Like the Holy Spirit came down, 
just smacked me upside the back of the head and he said, Jake, you're an idiot and a fraud. No, Lord, you don't understand. I'm just, just passionate about my team. No, you're out of control. No, God, you don't understand. I just, I just love sports. I love my people more. And I began to just get floored in this moment and realize, oh, man, what I say matters. My speech really does make a difference in people's lives. Not only because they're image bearers of God, but because I represent God to people. If I'm a disciple of Jesus, my speech matters. It matters because the people that we talk about or the people that we talk to are God's creation and we represent God to them. I have no idea if Mr. Thompson remembers saying any of those things to me. No idea if he even remembers running into me. But it completely changed our relationship. I didn't want to be around him. I would leave the room when he was there. It just changed all my memories. Went from being sweet to tasting bitter. The whole thing was done for me. But I can also remember a Bill Woolley in my life. Bill had a little bit of a beer gut and a dry sense of humor and a monotone voice. He would never define himself as cool, but Bill still means the world to me today. Bill was my high school life group leader and had me over to his house every single week. And every single week, Bill would tell me, Jake, God loves you. God has gifted you to tell people about Jesus, and he wants to do amazing things for you. You've got to figure that out, man. You've got to figure that out. Bill, as my life group leader, could have very easily said, Jake, you think you know everything and you talk way too much. I'm going to need you to just tone it down for me, buddy. And he'd have been right, 100%. But instead, Bill chose to love me. Bill chose to say, God loves you. He has gifted you. And he wants you to use those gifts for him. I cannot walk into a building and know that Bill Woolley's in that building without hunting him down. Just to hug that guy. I love Bill. Bill's not perfect by any means. But Bill loved me. Bill knew that his speech mattered. And the things that he spoke into my life mattered. So our question is, when we're talking to people, when we're posting online, when we're talking about people, do we realize, do we remember that they're the image bearers of God? That we speak as a representative of God? And that our speech matters? Let's pray. God, I thank you, Lord, for loving us, God that we get to come together, that we get to worship you, God, and we just get this reminder, Lord, that our speech is a powerful, powerful thing, God, that it has the capability to damage, but it has the capability to encourage as well, Lord. God, may you ever remind us with the people that you place in our life, Father, whether it's friends, coworkers, our spouse, kids, whoever it may be, God, that our speech, that it matters, Father. God, may we be able to tame the tongue, Father, so that we can begin to control all the other areas of life that you've given us, God. God, may what comes out of our mouth be encouraging, be life-giving, be uplifting to your image bearers, Father, as we speak as your representative, as we desire to grow closer to you as your disciple, Lord. Father, with all that we are, we praise you, we adore you, We love you, and we pray in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.